Can I pray with us before we get started? God, we give you thanks. God, we give you the praise. Lord, you are holy. You are the awesome and almighty God. We stand before you in awe. We're desperate for you, God. Lord, I pray this morning that, and this afternoon, God, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Lord, that we would be excellent listeners. God, that we would be very intentional in our doing and authentic in the lives that we live. God, I praise you and thank you for just how you have, have assembled this. So now, Lord, use this as a catalyst and allow us, God, to go forth to make you great in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, so that, God, you're the one who is glorified. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for allowing us to be here. Let me just get started by just sharing with you a little bit about what I do. You know, many parents, at least in the North American culture, they are busy people. Busy, 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 busy people. As you can see, that's a key word that I want to make sure that I, I, I talk about whenever I get the opportunity to speak to parents. Because, at least in North America, I'm not so sure about what your culture, uh, what they struggle with in particular, but I know North American culture, we can find stuff to be busy on top of being busy. I mean, we're just pros at it, and, it's, and that's really to our detriment. But here's, here's my goal. For many parents today are busy and have little time to disciple their children, and that's a reality. However, however, with the Faith at Home training that we offer at the Baptist State Convention, it, it's really just the whole idea of equipping these parents to be confident disciple makers. See, because as we'll talk about today, as we look, through it, look at in this particular session in the Shema, we'll see just how God has really orchestrated our day into a rhythm, how he has placed within our day certain aspects that we need to leverage. We need to, we need to well, first, I guess we need, to, we need to really realize that they're there. We need to see them, and then we need to leverage them, and then we need to be intentional. Because here's the whole idea. We need to make sure that with these busy, these busy parents to give them that confidence that they need in the natural rhythms of their everyday life. There's three things that I want you to pull away from this morning. And here's number one, L being learners of God's word. This is so, so critical that God's people are, are, are just genuinely in love with his word, that they are desiring to, to be nurtured by his word. That they are eager learners of his word. It's infallible. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who has made sure that, that we get a chance to hear him speak. And it's not about these red words and these black words that are on these white pages. It's really about the Holy Spirit and the, and the incredible word of God that's underneath these words. That they come alive that we need to be able to help moms and dads be confident in learning God's word and helping them to be able to take God's word and to be able to, to, to read it, to be able to understand it, to be able to live it out, and then to be able to teach it to their children. And, and here's something, let me just kind of help you see this just from a practical standpoint. Right here, Lifeway, leaving a lifestyle of integrity and, and teaching their children intentionally. But first, let's hit this whole idea about being an eager learner of God's Word. Notice this passage right here. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Do you hear God's Word speaking to us in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8? And I want to point you to a particular word. This word right here, meditate. You know, a lot of people, the first thing that they think about when they see that word meditate, they, they think of something more like kind of like this, like, like emptying yourself, emptying your mind, and putting yourself in a position to where, where everything else is, a, you're oblivious to it, and you're just focusing on emptying your mind. That is not what God's word means. This word meditate actually has an incredible meaning. 
And, and for, to help us to kind of understand this, this really deep meaning of this Hebrew word Hagah, because that's the Hebrew word that, 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 that is, is translated that we use in, in our English as meditate, it's, it's got some rich and deep meaning that sometimes we just kind of read across and we don't quite understand. And here, let me give you a simple il illustration about this. Help me fill in this blank. Now, if, if you've ever seen me do this, I want you just to kind of hold off on your answer because you know where I'm going. But help me fill in this blank. God is blank. What's, what's a word that you would put in that blank? God is, God is, gr I think I heard great. God is great. He is great. God is Faithful, I think I heard. We could add some more words. God is holy. God is love. Would you agree with those words? Well, of course. And we would be exactly right. Matter of fact, we could write on all these walls all the different ways that we can put, uh, put, put an answer in that blank describing God. Because he's all that and more. However, if you remember, God's word, it was, it was written by people not of our culture. It was written by Hebrews. It was written in a different time, a different place, a whole different a scenario of, of settings. And so God's word was written by these, this special group of people from the East. We call it the Middle East in, in here in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the culture and the, and the, uh, the, the, the context of the promised land. And when God used these people, remember, they were, they were the ones holding the pen, but the Holy Spirit was the one doing, the, doing the, the inspiration. He was the one doing the speaking into their hearts, and they were writing what God was giving them. And so one thing that we need to make sure that we understand is, is what their culture would, would see as normal as compared to ours, because if we were to ask that group of people the people who were holding the pen, if we were to ask that group of people to fill in the blank, God is blank, you know what words they would use? They would use, God is my rock. God is my shield. He's my strong tower. He's my fortress. God is my shepherd. Do you hear the differences in these two different columns that we just made? See, what we were describing just a moment ago are very abstract thoughts. It's not that they're wrong. God is love. But they're more abstract because, and here's what I mean by abstract. Abstract is something that you cannot touch. Whereas the, the Hebrew people were using words that were very concrete, like a rock. Can you hold a rock? Can you touch a shield? Can you touch and hold a shepherd? So you see the differences in the two. See, these Hebrew people, as they, were, as, as they lived their lives, as they would speak their language, as they would write God's word, they were very visual in their thinking. Just take a look at, at, at Psalm chapter 18. You'll see this imagery all over Psalm 18 as far as how God just uses these people to just describe himself in very concrete ways. And this word Haggah is no different. As a matter of fact, Take a look at this. Matter of fact, you need to kind of get, okay, we, we live in the South, right? So you got to get Southern on me, okay? You got to get Southern with me. So you don't just say Hagah, you got to say Hagah. Okay, so can you say that with me? Can, come on, be, be Southern. Come on, try it out. One, two, three. Hagah. Ooh, well done. Nice. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Think about how that word sounds. And see, when, when, when that word was used, there was a visual image going on in the Hebrew's mind of a lion just, just after it has caught its prey and it's eating its lunch. Can you, can you kind of visualize that? Just, just as that moment, as that, as that lion is eating its prey, what sound would it possibly make? As it's chewing on, its, on that flesh of that animal, it's saying, And so that's the imagery that comes about when we, when we say that word. So now put that imagery back into this verse and notice what it says. It says, this book of the law always on your lips, but what? Not just meditate, empty my mouth, but what? We're talking about God's word. 
What are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to eat it. We're supposed to, we're supposed to allow it to, 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 to be something that we consume. It needs to be fire within our bones. And so we need to be learners of God's word. Allowing his word to be what, what shapes our, our thinking, what shapes our actions, what determines our attitudes, the things that, that, we, that we do in our everyday lives. Every aspect is, is right here in God's word. And he desires for us to know his word that intimately. So take a look at that. So learners, we got we to teach our parents to be learners of God's word because that's where they get their confidence. It's not within themselves. It's not with your wonderful preaching, as great as it is, but we, we got to teach them to, to, to not expect to be handed a fish by you every Sunday or Saturday, whenever times that your, your church meets. They don't need to expect to be fed by you by you handing them a fish every single Sunday. We need to teach them how to fish. Of course, they need to come and be a part of the body. They need to come and hear you exhort on, on God's word, whether it be through sermon or Bible study or whatever. But they also need to have that manna every single day, being fed and being nurtured by his word. They need to be eating God's word and allowing it to, to saturate every part of their lives. They need to pray God's word. They need to study God's word. They need to use God's word to love other people. And then they put it into every aspect of their life, their vocation, and in particular, their home, because that's where we live out our faith the most raw. Would you agree with that? We are more ourselves at home than we are anywhere. And so as allowing God's word to, to be what speaks into our everyday lives, the people that, that God has entrusted us with, these children, our spouse, all these people, they see us for really who we are. And so we've got to allow that book to transform us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives because he is the author of that book. So let me just ask you a simple question. you got a favorite book. you got a favorite author. Somebody that you love to read out, outside of the Bible. Perhaps there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's somebody who writes books and you just, anytime they have a brand new book, you're just on it. You just love to be able to grab a hold of their book and just read it. You love what, to, what they have to say, how they speak into your life. Well, what if that author, and let's just say Karen Kingsbury, does that name sound familiar to anybody? She's a, she's a Christian author, because well, she, she's a prolific writer. She writes quite a number of books, so I pick her because she's very well known. But let's just say Karen Kingsbury just released a book. It hadn't even hit the bookstores yet. And she is, she's, she's making a, a point to come to your house because she wants to deliver her brand new book. She just finished it. it is, it's not even in, the, uh, even in circulation yet, but she wants you to have it. And matter of fact, she brings it to your house. She just asks for a simple cup of coffee. Y'all sit down at the table, and she says, would you please just, just read the, the first few pages of my book? I just, I just want to see you read it. I mean, wouldn't that just be unbelievable? And think about this. You're sitting there and you're reading. You're opening up page one and you're flipping to two and three. And as you're reading, what if you could sit right there and you have a question about maybe a particular character or circumstances getting ready to happen? What if, as you're reading that book, you could ask the author, hey, what are you talking about here? What, what is exactly are, are, you, are you saying here? What, what is it that you mean here? Now, well, that would be an incredible thing, wouldn't it? I mean, just to be phenomenal that you got a chance to do that, what an experience that would be. Do you know every time that you read God's word, you have that experience? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You have him living in you. Matter of fact, you have the author of his book living inside of you. So every morning, every afternoon, every evening, when you go to God's Word, the author is right there, ready to speak into your heart. So are we teaching our parents, are we learning, uh, helping them to learn God's Word so that they can then turn right around and be intentional with their children, living it out authentically? So here's the second thing. 
living a lifestyle of integrity. And I'd like to take us to this passage in Philippians chapter 1. Read along with me in this passage. Notice what the Bible says. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and, and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure, look at, this, look at these two words, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now here's what I want you to, to see in this passage. Again, remember, these words have deep and rich meaning. First was the Hebrew aspect of things, but now we're talking about the Greek words. This, this aspect of pure and blameless. Paul is exhorting us, he's challenging us to live a life that is pure inwardly and blameless outwardly. And he's actually, in this word pure, using a, a brilliant illustration. Back in the day, if you were someone who made pottery for a living, let's say you made bowls or cups or, or whatever, vases, whatever the case may be, maybe even a plate, and, and you, were, you, were, you were good at your art, and so what you would do, of course, is you would take that clay and you'd put it on the wheel and you'd spin that wheel and you would want to let that, uh, spin that wheel such that, that you could make your cup or vase or bowl or whatever it was. But if you were making a plate in particular, or perhaps even a cup, you would want to spin that, that, that wheel in such a way and form this clay in such a way that you would have a very thin edge a very thin edge, because the thinner your pottery would be, actually the more valuable that it was. If, if you just kind of threw the, the, the clay down there and just kind of molded it the best you could and, and it was real thick and heavy, that actually gave you less money than something that was lighter and more delicate, more, uh, uh, just, just more appealing and, 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 and easier for the, for the family to use. And you would actually get more money for something that looked like this. Of course, after you pull this plate off that, that, that potter's wheel, what did you do with it? You'd, you'd stick it in the kiln. And you would have to let that dry for, for very slowly for, for several hours and allow that to, to, to just slowly let, let get the moisture out to cure it, to, to make sure that it would be good and hard. And of course, so you pulled that thing out of the kiln and it was, and it was just perfect no, no cracks, no, no, no indentions, no, nothing, nothing sticking out. You could get top dollar for something like this. But let's just say you're not very honest. Let's just say you're someone, you're, you're, a, you're a merchant in the, in the pottery field, and, and, and you're a little, you don't mind cheating just a little bit. And let's just say you're trying to get that top dollar for this plate, and you, you, you form it on your wheel, you put it in the kiln, you pull it out of the kiln, but yet there's a little crack right through here. Now, typically, the people who were honest and who, who had honor with their, with their business dealings, they would just take this plate and just throw it away because it had a crack. But for those who were a little less with integrity, we'll call it, they would take this plate and they would take a little bit of wax and they would mold it into the, the, the crevice, into the, into the indention of that crack. And they would fill it in just, just so. And they'd smooth it out real well to where just kind of looking at it and filling it on the surface, you couldn't tell any difference. Of course, they would paint it and, and put some design on it, maybe, maybe do something very, very unique to it. And then they would try to sell this for top dollar. But perhaps you were there at the, at the merchant's table and you bought this, this plate. You didn't know it had a crack in it. And you take it home and you spend a lot of money on this thing. You take it home and, and you start to use it and you start to, to put it in the sink to wash it, to, to use it day in, day out. Guess what would perhaps happen over time to this, this plate? The wax would start to, to crack again and, and eventually it would fall out and perhaps it would e your plate would even break. And of course, you spent all that money for something that was impure. And so what, what merchants started to do, the, the ones with integrity, because these people who were doing it without integrity, they were really making things really rough on everyone. So the people who were selling these things by saying, hey, this thing is, 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 is quality, there are no cracks, they would put the, the little inscription back here, it would be a Latin phrase. The Latin phrase was sen serre. You know what we translate that into today in English? We use it in our letters to close it all the time. 
sincerely. You know what it literally means? Waxless. Waxless. And that's what, this is the illustration that Paul is, is describing right here in this passage in these two words. He's saying be pure, be waxless, be bl- internally be waxless and blameless with your external dealings with people. He's teaching us right here. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in your lifestyle. Live, in other words, living a life of integrity. You know, there, there's, there's people that, that live at your house. Okay, if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a grandparent, there's people who, who live in your house. You know, they, they eat your food. They wear out your clothes that you've given them. They tear up the walls in your house. You know those people. We call them what? Children, right? Your kids. You know, they see the authentic you all the time. And for them to be able to, to just see what it looks like to live a godly life, this is something that we need to strive for. It's not that we're ever going to be perfect because we will not be perfect. However, we need to, it needs to be our heart's cry. It needs to be something that we strive for every single day. And yes, when we do mess up, we go to them and we, we point out our mistake. We go to our children, we go to our spouse, and we say, forgive me. I have said this, I have acted this way, I have done this, and, it's, this, and it was wrong. Because that's where the life of integrity is truly lived. Is, yes, striving, but then admitting it when you're wrong. And this is Paul's exhortation to us. We need to be eager learners of God's word, but then we've got to be authentic in our doing. This is so critical. Here's the third thing. Teach their children intentionally. Point number three, we need to help our moms and dads be intentional teachers of God's Word because if they're learning God's Word and they're living it out to their best, best of their ability, then God gives them the perfect opportunity to be the primary teacher in this child's life, to teach them God's Word, to teach the things that God is teaching you, to teach them to the children that God has entrusted to you. And here's where I'd like to take us into this passage. Notice what the Bible says in in this book called Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. As you know, Moses is standing there at at just the, the entrance of the promised land. Let me borrow this chair for a second. And Moses is is teaching the children of Israel how they can be successful in this land that they're getting ready to to occupy. He's teaching them, he's giving them a game plan on how they can live a life that would would allow them to be intentional teachers in their children's lives, but also to live out their life with integrity. Because he knows something very critical. He's standing on this rock. I just kind of imagine that, that Moses is standing on a rock as he's preaching to the children of Israel. Because remember, they've just spent 40 years in the desert. Prior to that, they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses is trying to get these people ready for this incredible opportunity that God has finally fulfilled his promise. He's getting ready to give them this promised land. And remember, Moses isn't getting to go in. Joshua will be the one who leads the children of Israel into the promised land. But here is Moses, and he's preaching to these people. He's pouring his heart out to these people because he knows something very critical about the people who occupy this land that God is giving them. He knows that the Gergashites, he knows that the Jebusites, he knows that the Canaanites, he knows that all the Chigarbites... They have one thing in common. They absolutely hate God. And they could care less what God thinks. They they, they don't want anything to do with God. And these being God's people even puts them more uneasy. And so Moses is giving them this word right here to help them be successful in the land 
And notice what he says. Notice how he starts out his very first word. Hear, O Israel. Now, that word hear is actually the Hebrew word shema. Say that word with me. Shema. Because that's, that's where this passage gets its name. And, and here's something important that you need to know. Moses isn't just saying, hey, hey, everybody, listen up. He's not just saying, hey, hear what I got to say and, you know, figure it out on your own. He's actually saying, listen to me and obey. It's not a, it's not a choice in the matter. As a matter of fact, you would describe it like this. Moses is saying, Israelites, listen up. I got something to tell you. And whatever I tell you, you obey. Moses is trying to get his point across because he knows the temptations that lie across the Jordan River. He knows the propensity of his people. He gets it. Do we, do we have that same, same thought process in, in our homes? Do we know what lives outside of our homes, in, in our children's schools, in the neighborhoods that, that they live in? And the kids that they play with. Do, they, do, do, do our parents see that? That their home is supposed to be a place to where it is a refuge. And a place that they can be nurtured and taught God's word. These are the things that we need to teach our parents to help them understand. And so he starts out by saying, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Did God ever show himself to these Hebrew people? Did he ever show himself that he was the only God of the universe? Remember 40 years before this? Remember when they were down in Egypt? Remember when they were still slaves to Pharaoh? You remember the 10 plagues? As Moses came and said, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And God would send a plague there into, into, the, uh, into, the, into the country of Egypt? Do you know what he was actually doing? He was systematically, and, and almost like a surgeon, he was dissecting their idols that they worshipped there in Egypt. The Egyptians worshipped a, a pantheon of, of different gods, different idols, different, I call them little G-gods. And Yahweh, capital G-god, he strategically challenged those little G-gods and he defeated them one by one by one. Not just showing the, the Hebrew people who really there was only one God. He was showing the Egyptian people there was only one God. And a matter of fact, he was showing Pharaoh who thought he was a God that there is really only one God. Do we live our lives in awe of this one God. Because then notice what he goes and says right after this. Notice he says, love the Lord your God. That word in the Hebrew is ahav. Say that word with me. He's got a V sound at the end. Ahav. Very good. Very good. And it literally means love. If we were to translate that from the Hebrew into the Greek, guess what Greek word it is? You know it. Agape. Exactly. It's the word. It's the agape. And what does agape mean? What's the definition of agape? Unconditional, sacrificial love. And that's what Moses is saying, do. Love me, sacrificial, uh, love God sacrificially. Moses is teaching these people, this is how we love God, with everything we've got. Because has God shown us how much he loves us? Did he not give us everything he's got? With his son on the cross. His son was buried, but yet he comes back to life the third day. He has shown his pure love for us through his son. And so therefore we owe this incredible love back to this God who has, who has, who has been faithful in, in our lives and who has shown us exactly what love is all about. And matter of fact, let me make sure that you see this point. This is only the second time in all of scripture that this word is used. When you start in Genesis and read through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, this is the second time. The first time is in Genesis where, uh, where we're talking about the, the narrative with Abram, Abraham and, and his son Isaac. Remember he says, take your son, the one that you 
So think about this. When these Hebrew people, when they hear the word ahav, the same word that was describing what what Abraham was doing with the, the relationship with his son, can you just imagine the picture that came into their minds? And so God is telling us we are to love him with everything we got. As a matter of fact, it was an incredible mic drop moment. Here's what I mean. Because when Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love, it's almost like you could just say, Moses, drop the mic. Because that wasn't what you typically thought of whenever you interacted with a God. Gods were to be appeased. Remember back down in Egypt? What, what, what had they learned about gods back in Egypt? That you appease them, that you hope to do enough to good stuff so that they will be uh, just nice to you. You just, you feared them. You had no relationship with them. You could care less, but what God was telling through Moses, no, 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 forget that junk. I want a relationship with you because this is based on love. So love, how, how are we supposed to do it? With all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Bottom line, holding nothing back. God didn't hold anything back. He doesn't want us to hold anything back. And then notice what he goes on to say after that. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In other words, we're to live them out intentionally. We're to live them out with integrity. It should be every aspect of our thoughts, our actions, our words, our deeds, everything should be because we are living out God's word in our lives. The very things that God is teaching us, we are to live them out. And notice this next word. See this word, impress them on your children? That Hebrew word is shenan. Say that word with me. Shenan. Oh, excellent. And it literally means to teach or to sharpen. Now, if I wanted to sharpen my blade, okay, and I just wanted this to get it good and sharp, would I just randomly do one of these things with it? Well, of course not. That's not going to get this blade sharp at all. What would I need to do in order to take this file and this blade to get, it, get this blade sharp? Well, first, I would need to be very intentional with my angle. Is that correct? I mean, I don't randomly do it. I get very intentional with my angle. I also stroke the blade all the way across one time and I'm done. Well, no, I got to do it how? Repeatedly, over and over again. I got to be intentional and repetitive. Intentional and repetitive. And of course, I've got to go from a, from at a different, different uh, direction this time. I've got to go to the other side. Intentional and repetitive. Intentional and repetitive. Remember, these Hebrews, they think in pictures. So take this picture, put it back into that word right there. Impress them. Be intentional. Be repetitive with your who? Your children. Teach them to your... So, and here's something you just need to make sure you're seeing. This is verse... In this verse number seven, notice how it's a transition from verse number four. Because now, who is Moses talking to in verse four at the very top? Who's he talking to? He's talking to everybody. Now who's he talking to? Moms and dads. I'll even say grandparents. Depends on, our, depends on what your household looks like because that's our culture. Grandparents are vital. I'll talk more about them in a minute. But Moses is saying, you got to be intentional and you got to be repetitive. Because let me ask you, how many of y'all have children at home? Yeah? You told, your you told your child this morning before you, you left to clean their room, right? And they did it. You didn't have to even think twice about it, right? Yeah. we got to be repetitive with our words, don't we? Moses is teaching us how to be good parents right there. You, look, you got to keep it coming. You can't just think it's going to be done one time and it's over. We've got to be intentional and repetitive. And then notice what he says then. Notice this next word. You talk to them. You use your words. Did, did, are words important from, from God's perspective? Remember Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the passage just about to, the, to, to about like verse 26. What does he do? He speaks and there it is. From nothing is something. He says a word and there it is, right? When Jesus was being baptized, 
by John the baptizer. He comes, he comes up out of that water, and guess who shows up? God the Father. And what does he do? He speaks. What does he say? That's my boy. Southern talk. <laughs> Listen, to him. I'm, well, I'm well pleased with this boy. This is my boy. Listen to him. So words are important to God. Are words important in your life? Perhaps you were standing in, at a church one day, maybe outside in front of a preacher, and you were using your words with your spouse to, to form a covenant marriage relationship. The day that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you confessed with your mouth. Our words are important. They're vital. So what does God say do? Use your words. Impress them on your children. Look at this. It, that word means to teach or to sharpen. It says impress them. What's the them? The commands that are already here. The ones that you're living out. The ones that you're desiring to, to please and honor God with. With your own life, you're showing them. You're being an, a visual illustration of what God's doing in your life to the very people he's entrusted you with. And notice what he goes on to say. Talk to them. Talk about them. There's the them again. When you, look at this, sit at home, walk down the road, lie down, get up. Do you see something significant about those four points? Notice where three of those four things are. Home. Home. God desires for our home to be a refuge a training center. And we as equippers of these moms and these dads, we've got to get them ready for that task. And notice this. This is in the, the natural rhythm of all our lives. We have opportunity to sit at home. We have opportunity to go down the road. We lie down. We get up. That's a, that's a, this is just a natural, normal day, day, day in, day out. And so let me just kind of walk you through very quickly what this would look like practically. Let me get practical with you here for just a minute. Because what I want you to see is that this is not impossible. You can do this. This is not that hard. It, yes, you're, you're going you're to try to talk to your, talk to your kids in a, in a way perhaps that you've never done before. By having intentional faith talks, by having intentional conversations with your children. And that may, if you've never done that before, that may feel a little weird. They may look at you as weird. But if God's leading you to do it, then he's going to give you the power to walk through it. If you have older children and you start to do this with them, they're going to say, what conference did you just come back from? Right? They'll say that. That's okay. You just say, look, God's speaking to me about this, and he's teaching me that I need to be intentional in your life. And ask him, perhaps you might need to just say, please forgive me, if I haven't been intentional enough in your life with God's word that he's been putting on me. So here, let me just walk you through some very intentional, very simple things. You can have faith talks as you sit at home. And here's what I'm talking about. As you're sitting in the backyard, you know, you've had dinner perhaps and, and you're sitting in the backyard and, and maybe you just look up and just, it's, it's nighttime and you just look up and just see the incredible uh, night sky. What, what psalm would you want to just immediately come into your mind to, to be able to talk to your children about? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Perhaps as you're having a meal together, you could talk about what's been going on in their day. You can be very intentional with, with starting a conversation. Not necessarily about anything from God's word yet. Perhaps God will lead you to that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you just dive right into. But maybe as you're sitting there, you're having, a, you're having your meal time, you could just ask simple questions like, hey, what was the high point of your day? What made you laugh today? What made you sad today? What, what, what was it that, that was the most interesting part of, of the day? Now see, when you ask questions like that, those are open-ended questions. Notice I didn't say, how was your day? Because if you ask a teenager, how was your day? What are you going to get back? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you might get a grunt, right? 
But if you ask them an open-ended question, what made you sad today, laugh today? What made you happy? What was something that, was, that, that just brought a, brought a smile to your face? What you're doing there is you're starting an open-ended conversation. They at least got to put maybe a noun, a verb, and something else in a period possibly, you know, give them a chance. But here's what you're doing. Number one, you're making table time, your meal time. You're making it a place where we as a family, we talk. Now, I would encourage you to take those little rectangles that are in your house. You know what I'm talking about. The, these supercomputers that are in your pocket, right? iPads, even the, the TVs in your house. Turn them off. Ooh, did I just say that? Ooh, I did. that's crazy, isn't it? Okay, 15 minutes. Just, just try it. And allow that time to be something that you're investing into your children, talking back and forth, hearing what their day's about. Because really what you're trying to do is learn from their day what they've experienced. And then perhaps, who knows, God will allow that time to be something that you share something that God's been, been doing in your heart in life. Maybe he's, he, he reminds you of a verse as they're talking about a situation going on with some of their friends. Who knows what the case may be? But you're allowing the Holy Spirit to use that time for something sacred instead of something that you just kind of blow through. There was a, a time when um, I, had, I was a youth pastor for several years, and there was a, a young lady, she was interning for me, and she was uh, over at our house one afternoon, and we were working on a project, me and my daughter, who was of her, her, the same age as, my, as the lady who was, a young lady who was the intern. So me and my daughter, and, and her name's Katie, we were all working together, we were working on this project, and it, it was kind of chilly outside, or cold outside, and so my wife had a, a pot of soup on the... On the um, uh, on the stove. It was getting close to dinner time. And so we were just about finished with the project. And, and I said, hey, Katie, you want to just stay for dinner with us? And she said, well, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm starving. So we all just kind of went into the kitchen. We, we had our bowls and we went to the, to the, uh, to the stove and we, we, we scooped our, our soup into our bowls. And, and we went and we sat down at the table and, and we held hands and we prayed that was just what we did as a family. That was normal for us. And Katie looks at me after we finished praying and we're you know, getting crackers and getting everything situated, getting ready to eat, grabbing my spoon, I'm ready to go. And she says, Mark, do y'all do this all the time? And I said, yep, we eat all the time. We sure do. No, 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 no. Do y'all sit together and like as a family at a table and I mean do y'all this and pray do y'all do this all the time I said well I won't say that we do it seven out of seven but I would say we're probably good maybe four or five out of seven days a week yeah I'd say we're pretty close to that she said wow that's that's crazy that's not what we do at my house I said what do y'all do at your house she said, well, if you're hungry, you go to the kitchen, you fix you something to eat, and you take it into the den, and you watch TV while you eat it, maybe by yourself, maybe if there's somebody in there too. I'm like, wow. So you never have any table time conversation. They said, no. I'm like, perhaps whenever you get married and have your children, perhaps maybe this might be something that, that you, you do in your home. Guess what? Katie's now 26 years old. She has a little boy about four years old. Guess what they do? I won't say that they do it seven out of seven, but guess what they do a majority of the time? Her and her husband and their little boy, Isaac, sit and eat meals together. They can do this. This is not that hard. It's just got to be intentional. And we've got to show them how simple these things are so that they take advantage of these things. You can, you can you know, meal time together, of course, game nights I mean, me and my wife, we, we are, we're empty nesters. Sunday night, we're right before the NFL football game, because my wife's a big Saints fan, so we had to like, get this game in before the game. Before, <laughs> had to get this Traumatos game we were playing in before the, the Saints game come on. But we played, we played a board game after we had dinner. I mean, we still do that. That's what we did with our kids. So it's just a matter of teaching our families how to take advantage of this rhythm because you can Start and have conversations with your family. Walk or ride down the road. Let's contextualize that. When you go down the road in the mom van, okay, let's just make it simple. That's what we do. 
Because every single time, whenever I go to churches and I talk to families about, hey, you need to sit at home, you need to be intentional with your, with your, your time around your table, they'll say, huh, we are never at home. And I say, well, you know what? God saw you coming because he knows if you're not home, you're riding down the road. So he's made provision for this. And notice there's just some simple things you can do. You can have faith talks. You can pray with your, your family as you're, as you're riding down the road. You can talk about God's incredible creation. I mean, the sunrise, the sunsets, I mean, whatever God shows you, be intentional with, with and be, be ready to see what God's saying to you. Or you could use this thing that I called side-by-side. Side. My son, when he was about 15 years old, wasn't making real good decisions when, uh, uh, with his friends back in those days. Now, of course, I was his youth pastor, but I was also his dad. And I, I, I knew my son. I had studied my son. I had really paid attention to, 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 to how I could speak to him and how he responded. So I was a student of my son and how he received information. And so I knew I needed to have this conversation with my boy. And I was going to have this conversation with my boy. I was not going to allow him to continue to make dumb mistakes with, with his friends. And so I got him in my little Ford Ranger truck. It's a two-seater. And I sat down in my, in my seat. And I got... In my 10-2 position, my son was right here. See, because I knew my son wouldn't take to this type of conversation if I was looking at him straight in the face. I knew it would be more difficult if he had to look me straight in the eye. So I didn't, I didn't put him through that. I just got in the 10-2 position, went down the road, and we talked. A long conversation. All the way from wherever we were going until we got back home. I helped him understand where me and his mother stood, where God's word stood, what it meant to be a friend and what it meant to have godly people in his life. And praise the Lord. God delivered him with that. But I, I, I used this simple little technique of riding down the road because I wanted God to do the work. I wanted his heavenly father to do the work, not his earthly father. I wanted the Holy Spirit to be the one who taught him that day. And praise the Lord, he did. And so just little simple things about how you utilize leveraging these times as you go down the road. This is so critical that we allow God the opportunity to have a part of every aspect of our day, not just a part of a day, every aspect of every day that we have. We got to teach our families how to how to be intentional with that. They got to see this for themselves. Here's the third thing. Bedtime. Now, at our house, this was I would say we were probably 6 out of, 6 maybe 7 out of 7 on this one. This was just a natural rhythm at our house. Bedtime was a very very guarded time at our home. My wife and I, we, were, we, were, we wanted to make sure that we took full advantage of, of that nighttime uh, time frame, even though there might have been a busy schedule ahead of that, that we were still going to be very intentional with our nighttime. And we were going to pile up on, on somebody's bed, and we were going to have devotion time. I'd love to say we were seven out of seven all the time, but I'd say we were probably good five, probably really more six out of seven, because we were intentional with that. And of course, what did I do? Well, I went to my bookcase because I was a student at the seminary right here. So I had all these big theological books and I'd lay them out on the, be on, the, on the bed and I'd preach for a whole hour and a half. No, I didn't do that. But guess what I did do? I would, whatever God was teaching me, I would use whatever I heard God teaching my children. I would use something from that day to allow the Holy Spirit, to allow the Heavenly Father to speak into their lives. Yeah, sometimes we were just kind of walking through maybe a particular book of the Bible. But I was, I was very intentional with allowing God's Word to be open, read a few verses, have some discussion, and we'd pray. Guess how long that took us? Five minutes. Look, can, can, can you do that at your house? I think you can. I don't think it's that hard. Can, can your parents do that? The parents that you've, you minister to, the, the, that are in your congregations, can they do that? I think they can. That's a, that's a low-hanging fruit. It's not that hard. It's very simple. But just get into that rhythm. Because what you're going to start to show your, your kids, and when you get into some type of rhythm, 
You're going to start to show them how, how it's a part of your everyday life. And they're going to see this as they get up and as they go down the road and as you lie down and, and, and sitting at home and all these different things. They'll see that God is just a natural part of your family. Now, usually what I do about this point is I stop and I say, listen, especially when I'm, when I'm talking to moms and dads, I say, listen, mom and dad, look, I, I know that you're trying to drink water from a fire hydrant right now. I get it. Okay. There's a lot coming at you, but look, Sammy, Sammy mentioned this to you a while ago. Just pick one thing. Pick, pick one, something out of these lists. I, I, got, I got another two lists to go here, but just pick one thing out of these lists that you can do and try to do it before Monday. I see, because today's Saturday. I'll give people a timeline. I'll give them a, a I'll, I'll take their, their list of things to do, okay? And I'll put a little box and I'll write it out there. Hey, do this, this one thing before Monday just to get them into the rhythm, just to get them to start just to see what God would do with it. Because I have yet to have a family come back to me and, and when, when they've actually tried to literally do it, I've yet to have anybody come back to me and says, eh, didn't work for us, we're not going to do anything. That doesn't happen. Because if they're truly believers in God and the Holy Spirit has, has, has infilled their lives, God will take care of that. So just doing these little things, the biblical blessing reading devotional Bibles, seasonal devotions. Hey, here's something that you got in your, in your, um, in your goodie bag. This is an Easter, family Easter focus. This is basically Advent before Easter. That's what this is. Simple, easy resource to use. If you want a, a digital copy of this, go to faithathomenc.org. As a matter of fact, the, the, the website's on the, on the, in the book. But you can have a free digital copy. If you want the hard copy, I think these are at cost like $3. We can make it available for you. If you need them translated, that's where we'd like to work with you. And I know Sammy would love to, the opportunity to partner with you just to see if we can't get that translated so that it's more, more, more accessible to the folks in your congregation. All these resources are that way, by the way. And so we want to just help you to succeed by giving you simple resources. Matter of fact, this coming Christmas... Uh, so about, the, about the middle of November, we're going to have a, a Christmas Advent, 25 days before Christmas, starting December, December 1st, of course. And of course, that's going to be a free download. We're not even going to print those. Those are free for you just to download it, click, download, and use it. You, pr you can print them out or you can just use them on your devices. Either way, perfectly fine. But here's really where we're trying to help families engage with God's Word is to make these resources, train them first, train them on what God's Word has to say, share with them what the, what the Shema says, and then give them that resource to help it make it likely in their home. Here's this third column, a fourth column. You can have these faith talks. Matter of fact, a, a, another resource that we could offer you are, are, different, are different faith talks that actually line up with all four of these, these different rhythms. Again, if you, if you want to utilize this, we would like to maybe partner with you to help you uh, get that translated. But these are free resources, and they're just so simple for you to use. They're, they're not that hard. And these, matter of fact, all these resources that we have, we, we just tell people, hey, you just, you just hand it to them, and you start being their cheerleader and see what God has in store. But some th simple things that you, you can do in the morning. Encourage your children, especially if they're older, to have personal devotion time. Yes, you do family devotion time. Don't, don't not do that for sure. But encourage your older children to have personal devotion time. Read, help, help them to be able to learn God's word for themselves so that they can also be somebody who knows how to fish instead of, being, instead of handing them a fish all the time. Teach them how to fish. Family prayer time and Proverbs cards. Oh, I love these Proverbs cards. These things are so cool. I was on a, a mission trip to, um, to Cuba about two years, a little over two years ago. And, and I was staying at the, um, uh, the Southern Baptist Seminary in Havana, Cuba. Did you know we have a Southern Baptist Seminary in Havana, Cuba? I, I had no idea. It was, it's the coolest place. Barbaro is the president of this institution. And uh, I was there doing some teaching. And he invited me up every morning to have breakfast with him and his family. His wife and two children. His uh, uh, son was maybe middle school. His daughter was probably elementary school. 
And we would have breakfast, we'd have to enjoy our conversation, and then it was time for them to go to school. And so they would go brush their teeth, get their backpacks, whatever they needed to do, and their dad would meet them at the door with a box similar to this. And inside this box are a bunch of cards. And written on these different cards is a verse from the book of Proverbs. And so he would just hand the box to his son. His son would just randomly pick a, a card, hand the, the box to their, his daughter, and she would randomly pick a card, and they would just read whatever verse was on that card. And their dad would put his hands on the shoulders of his daughter and his son and just give a little commentary about what those verses meant. And he would pray for their day as they went out into a communist country. I don't know what kind of impact it made on those two children, but I tell you, it made a huge impact on me. My wife bought me these cards for $5 on Amazon. They're simple to use, easy to get. I encourage you, start just getting little things like this, helping your families be intentional, redeeming their times, taking advantage of these rhythms of their day. So just these little simple things you could do. Now, something I haven't, haven't really shared, and that's a lot about my family. I have a daughter and her husband. They live up in Hickory, and uh, they have our first grandson. So I'm a, I'm a grandfather and loving every second of that, okay? <laughs> our son and his wife, they live up in Washington, D.C. And one thing that you need to know, our, our daughter married Justice Rao, and we call him our son. He's not our son-in-law. Our son married a young lady by the name of Ashlyn. And she's not our daughter-in-law. She's our daughter. And, and so we, we, we together, my wife and I, we are still disciple makers in all four of those children's lives. It's changed a bit since Abby and Adam don't, no longer live at our house. And, I, and once, once Peter Benjamin came along, our grandson, I, I started telling our, my daughter and her husband, I started telling Adam and his wife, I said, hey, look, I said, you know what? When you, when you all lived at our house, it was our job to make you obey, Abby and Adam. But now that Peter Benjamin, our grandson, is here, <laughs> it's mine and your mom's job to make him happy. And I'm pulling no punches on that. But it's all of our jobs to be a disciple maker in that young man's life. And I encourage my family to take advantage of these opportunities as they go throughout their day, to be intentional, living their lives with integrity, allowing God's word to saturate their hearts and their minds because these things all go together. And here's the rest of the story. Moses talks to the children of Israel and of course, he doesn't get to go in. Joshua leads them in. And as we read through the book of Joshua, we see that they have a few little bumps along the way, of course. But about midway point through the book of Joshua, what happens? God says, you have conquered the land. Praise the Lord. Send people to their inheritance. But there's still a few pockets of the enemy still, still around. So you let the clans, you let the tribes take care of those little pockets, but the land is now yours. Go and rest into your inheritance. Remember this? And of course, they have a few more bumps along the way and things are somewhat going okay, but Joshua is, is a little concerned, so he convenes the leaders of the Israelites. Remember this? In Joshua 24, remember he makes this incredible statement. Remember what it says? It says, uh, but as for me and my house, what's the rest of this verse say? We will serve the Lord. That's right. And, and he tells them, this is, what, this is what I have decided to do. Me and my house, we're, there's nothing going to hold us back. But do you know what he said prior to making that statement? Look at this. He says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Do you hear that? What's going on with these people? What happened with these people? Why did Joshua have to confront these people on this issue? Because they were living in a land that, and getting a chance to live in houses that they didn't build. 
having the privilege of being a part of vineyards and, and crops that they didn't, they didn't, have, to, they didn't have, to, have to plant. And they got lazy. They got slack. Matter of fact, you, you just take your Bible and you, 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 you take God's Word Joshua 24 is right here in my Bible. You flip one page, one page, and you come to the book of Judges chapter 2. Here it is. You hear this? Look at this. It says, after a whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation, talking about Joshua and his contemporaries, they're dead, they're gone. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he had done in Israel. Tell me, please tell me what happened. How could they have gotten so far off track that they didn't know the Lord or what he'd done in Israel? How could that have possibly happened? When you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, very likely, where it says, talk to them, impress them on your children, talk to them. Very likely they didn't do that. But I'd also like to submit to you what we just read in Joshua 24. There was idol worship going on. The little g-gods were a part of people's households. There was little g-gods in, in, in people's lives. And think about this just for one second. Put yourself back in this day. You're, you're a part of this next generation. You know, you're a part of this another generation. You're a teenager in this other generation who didn't know the Lord or what he'd done in Israel. Let's just say your mom and your dad, they were trying to tell you who Yahweh was, what he'd done in, in, through Egypt and the, the wandering in the, in the 40 years and what he'd done with the conquering of the land. Your mom and dad were trying to tell you, but they were worshiping those little idols right outside the front door. So what are you thinking about your mom and dad as a teenager? Right? They're hypocrites. So are you listening to them anyway? Even if they are trying to tell you. Are you paying them any attention whatsoever? So that's why I submit to you, we've got to teach our parents to live by this word. We've got to teach our parents to live it out with integrity. And then we've got to show our parents how they can be intentional teachers in their children's lives. Because if we do not, here's what we can expect. However, I just praise the Lord. I give him the honor and praise and glory for it all. Because you know what? Jesus, he's on the throne. And as long as Jesus is on the throne, as long as he's at the right hand of the Father, we have hope. And God has placed you in the lives of the people of your church. As leaders, you now have the privilege of equipping them to be intentional learners of God's word, eager learners of God's word, authentic doers of his word, and then intentional teachers of his word. What a privilege God has entrusted you with. So today, as we continue to learn, what is God speaking to you about? What is he sharing with you? And by the way, take a look at this, this graphic. This, is, this blows my mind every time I think about it. Barna asks ask us just a simple question. Hey, who, whose faith influenced you? Look at that top one. Who's number one? Mama. I, I tell my wife it's because she had a nine-month head start, but that's okay. I'm good with that. It's all right. Dads, we're rock solid at two. Look at that. We're good. But look at number three. Are we, are we challenging our grandparents? Are we equipping them? Are we helping them to see how valuable they really are in this whole disciple-making process? Moms and dads, we need these grandparents. We need them desperately. So church, we need to equip these grandparents. We need to equip these parents because time is of the essence. But at the same time, we've got God on our side. We can succeed. We can live this life and pass it on to the next generation to where they won't be saying they didn't know God. They'll be saying we get to live life to the, to the max on a whole other level than our parents do. Isn't that what you really want to see for your children? that they live out this Christian life better than you? Show them how wonderful this Savior is. Here's how you can get in touch with me. There's some information I know in the, in the packets. But I just praise the Lord for Sammy's vision. 
I cannot wait to see what he has, what God has in store next. Can I pray with you? Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this, this group. Now, Lord, you, you speak. You empower us. And you give us the privilege of being equippers to the people you've entrusted us with. But God, I pray for every, every mom and dad and grandparent in this room this morning that God, you would give us the heartbeat and the desire to train in our homes. Thank you, Lord, for what you do. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.